Okay, with Matthew Gratzner, Mutiny's the short film winner of Best Cinematography at the LA Comedy Film Festival. Uh, a squash buckling comedy with a little bit of political commentary. Is that a correct assessment, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, it's very subtle political commentary. In fact, almost no one really picks it up, which is fine, because that's not what I wanted to make. But it, when I wrote it, it was a, it, in the United States, it's still a little bit, uh, a little polarized in terms of the left and right, yeah, I but I kind of, that yeah. kind of definitely found its way into the story. Well, yeah, uh, it's, but it's it's good though because it's like you don't want to like I think you said in the blog interview you don't want to hit people over the head with your ideology. You just want to you want you want it to be subtle and kind of like if they see it they don't they see it they don't they're they're still entertained by your story I guess right correct exactly. So tell me about uh, this is such an interesting film. Like it's it's like I said, it's a squash buckling comedy. Uh, tone wise, really difficult to pull off, but you 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 achieve to uh, amazing success. So take me back from the beginning. You work in visual effects uh, in the industry. We can get get to that in a second. But when did you come up with this idea? What was the seed to this idea? Where, do you remember where you were? Where you're like, hey, I'm gonna I got this idea for for a short film. Sure, sure. Um... Yeah, so I had made, I'd been involved in like, it was about 2014, I was involved in some early stages of virtual reality and 360 videos. And I was working with Nokia at the time and had developed a project for their new Ozo camera. This is like a few years ago. And I did like a, it was like a three minute short called Mutiny. They asked me, hey, could you do something that's fun and or not funny just say could you do something that's different uh we want to test this camera and i had already done a couple other projects that are pretty high production value so i said oh you know it'd be great i'll, I'll come up with something so i came up with this pirate thing called mutiny it really wasn't a comedy it was straightforward but it was really just designed to develop this 360 world so you literally wearing a, a oculus or, or um you know a, a samsung gear vr headset you could look around 360 and i have i come from theater and I used to do theatrical combat and so I had put together this short that I thought would be fun in a 360 experience you can't really find it anywhere I, I have it it's not a comedy it was a fun little it was a demo basically for, mm. for Nokia and the Ozo camera came and it sort of went like they shut the program down maybe seven months later and so it never really came out and I really liked it but the the quality of the imagery wasn't like the wardrobe and the performances and everything was very cinematic. And the actors I had were absolutely terrific. And so I remember thinking about this and all the wardrobe I had made some of it years ago, some of it recently, I, I come from an art background and can fabricate. So pretty much everything in the movie I pretty much made. So it was like, okay, I've got all the great stuff. And I was taking it out of storage a couple of years ago and putting into a, just kind of boxing it up. And I'm like, yeah, I really wish I could have made a movie with this stuff. And that was like seen by people other than, you know, some, some far-flung company that, that's a uh, camera doesn't exist. Yeah. So I ended up saying, you know, I should just write a short. I've got all this stuff and I have friends who are actors and it'd be a lot of fun. And I start to write and I said, you know, but I really got to dig in on comedy and I, I have a bit of a comedy background. Uh, although my background in professionally is mostly visual effects and directing. Um, I'm a huge fan of Monty Python and Black Adder and Princess Bride and mm -hmm. Blazing Saddles and these, these films that take, whether it's a political commentary or contemporary situations and put them in a period setting. I love that. And I think okay. it's funny because I think people don't change. I think people for, since the dawn of humanity are the same as they are now, 
maybe they have different technology, maybe they have slightly different beliefs, but at the end of the day, people are people, they don't change. Same, same fears, same insecurities, same Same shit. fear, same insecurities, same striving to be better, same, same jealousy and childishness about, I want what that person has and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I started writing it and it, originally I was going, I'll just do a little short, it'll be a day. And then, you know, you start writing, you start developing. And I started developing this. And at the time, this was the, this was like August of 2019. And it was right before the presidential election in the United States. And so I'm like writing this and it's just this barrage of, you know, left and the right. And I just sort of thought, you know, this would be really funny if you make one, one of the pirates is sort of this, very heavy right-leaning pirate who's more of like almost a older school, older generation, baby boomer, perhaps. And then another <laughs> pirate is more of the cliche left-leaning, very much like, you know, but, but both of them are unaware of their own behavior and, and they may believe in the, the tenets of what they believe in. However, they're so blinded by it, they don't really see the bigger picture. So then I thought, well, you have to have a kind of a centrist character and that's what Mr. Phoebe became. And then originally there was no um, sort of the, the minstrel or, or uh, the one uh, pirate with the, 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 um, the concertina played by uh, Christopher Halstead. That was never in there in the original, just like the first sort of pass and sketching out of the, the, the script. Mm. And I had sent, so the one lead actor, uh, Robert Chapin, who plays Valentine is an old friend of mine. He's extraordinarily talented. He's a great actor. He's, he's a great uh, choreographer, swordsman. He's a, actually an excellent uh a digital artist as well as a visual effects supervisor. Like if you've ever been in Hollywood, has got to do a lot of stuff, but he wears a lot of hats and he's really, really talented. And he's also a great musician. And so when I was writing up the script or the ideas and the sort of initial um, first draft, I sent it to him and I said, Hey, you know, you should take a look at this. What do you think? And, you know, he gave me some great notes and some thoughts and, you know, cause I used to do sword choreography with him way back but I'm originally from Miami and we used to work at like Renaissance fairs and kids parties when we were very, very young. And, uh, and it was great. So he, in one of the scenes, when they're looking for the treasure, I had them on this long March where two of the pirates are playing, one's playing a concertina and one's playing a penny whistle. And it was just something to give them something to do. Cause they're just on this, like, you know, they're probably that big in frame. They're sort of on the horizon and it's just something to give them to do. And, and Bob uh, said to me, he's like, you know, one of my pet peeves is when people like pantomime instruments, they don't know how to play it. I said, well, other than you and maybe four other people on planet earth, who, who's going to care? I said, yeah. well, what's your suggestion? He said, well, I've got this friend, Chris Hallstrad. You met him a couple of years back at a party and he's really great. He knows how to play the concertina. And I said, well, I don't really want to add another, you know, you're making a short film. You're out of pocketing this money. You, anybody who's made a short film knows that the second you said, I'm going to add another actor. Well, it's not just another actor. It's another piece of wardrobe. It's, you've got to feed them. You've got to, you know, it's all this stuff. Yeah. But I remembered him. And I said, oh, he's really funny and he's really talented. So rather than just having another guy doing stuff, I said, oh, he'd be great in the role of this idea of like, there's this sort of news representative. So he represents sort of whether it's CNN or Fox who's just blurting out every stupid thing he sees. Of course, a lot of it's very critical of the captain. The captain is completely unaware, doesn't yeah. realize it's about him. Um, and so, but, but Chris is such a, a funny guy and he's got great screen presence, he's a great actor and he can play the concertina. So I wrote the part for him, I wrote all the lyrics, but I'm, I'm not a musician, I can't play an instrument to save my life. So he ended up writing the music for that, uh, all the concertina stuff and then, um, worked in and sort of something I would ever, I would never do it this way again. 
I didn't really say, hey, write up a song and then I'll write the lyrics. I wrote all the lyrics and figured, well, that all rhymed and it's sort of in the pattern of a sea shanty. It was, a, he had a lot of bending to do to make it work because we did the music after the fact. And so even though he's playing on, on live, he pulled all the reeds out of the concertina mm -hmm. so that he didn't, you know, for editing, it would have been a hard edit to have music going on during the, the, the filming. So he ended up recording everything in his home studio after the fact of during the pandemic. Um, but uh, anyway, we're tech right. So, uh, but that was really the impetus of the film. I just wanted to tell a story that took a modern conflict or basically a political sense of what's going on now and put it in this period yeah. setting. But also it's a modern conflict. I mean, to me, it's always sort of like, it feels like a workplace. Um, Comedy. Uh, for instance, a couple of people said it was like, um, it was like the princess bride meets the office. And I was like, well, it wasn't intentional, but yeah, I could see that. And because the, the, I can imagine everybody who's ever been in a position where you're working for someone or dealing with like middle management or you're saying, well, you know, this guy above me, I, I could run this company or I could run this stock room or I could do this. And then the whole the, the, the direction I gave to uh, Bob, who's playing Valentine, who's the first mutineer in the film, was I said, imagine that you've had this supervisor at an office or workplace of some kind and you've always felt I could be way better than him. And you, you, you're building yourself up to tell him how you feel. You stand in front of the mirror and you, you have this speech ready and you know what you're going to say and you have all this bravado. And this is a human trait. You start to believe the nonsense you're churning in your head. And then you get there to do it and then it fails. And that's always the thing. You get there and then you're like, oh, now what do I do? And that's why sort of he backs off and he's, because that happens, you know, you, or even if it's like, you're asking somebody on a date and you built it up. I'm going to say this and they're going to say this and it's going to go great. And then they don't say what you want them to say. And it all just crumbles. So, but anyway, that was really the, the thing. I just, I love telling stories that, with people. And even if it's in this case, the 17th century, yeah. there's still a level of contemporary behavior that just exists with humanity. And I think- No, it's, it's so, I love, thank you for describing that. Cause it's like, you, you build this really interesting structure within the context of this comedy. And there's, that's why there's so much depth in, in the film. I'm just curious before, uh, I just want to talk about the film in a second, but sure. is there a bigger idea here? Like, is there like a feature idea here? Cause oh, yeah, it seems yeah. like- Well, yeah, yes, it's actually, uh, so I wrote the script and, um, when I had finished writing it, I'm, I'm a, a fan of Taika Waititi's. I think his work is fantastic. I really, really liked Jojo Rabbit, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, Thor Ragnarok. Like, so I felt, wow, the humor in this, is, mind you, this is August of 2019, I wrote this. And I'm like, this would be great to pitch him, like I'm really gonna be able to pitch him, but pitch him is, this would be a funny series. So we make the film, so we, we shoot, we got delayed a couple times because of rain, um, unseasonable rain in Los Angeles. Then we go to shoot in um, middle of January. And then we're, our editor, Scott Hill, fantastic, fantastic filmmaker and editor. In fact, without him, I'd have just a bunch of really nice looking shots that don't do anything. Uh, he really saved me on this film as he has on everything he's ever cut that we've worked together on. Um, but, you know, Scott was on another, he was on a Netflix project at the time and we had to wait to start. So by the time we started, it was like February and then literally it's like or end of February. And then it's like, we're going to do the, and then the pandemic happened. Yeah. So at any rate, so we finished over the pandemic, sorry, long winded answer. And in like 
October of 2020, almost a year later, there's an announcement that Taika Waititi is producing and starring in a show David Jenkins had created for HBO called Our Flag Means Death. And it's a pirate comedy. Mm. So I was, and I had already like written out an outline for the series. I have like eight episodes and I've got like the second episode fully fleshed out as a script. I've got the third one like half done and I have a whole series one arc. So I don't know. Our Flag Means Death got picked up for a second season. Um, I have actually lobbied them a few times. I don't really know anybody on the show to, can I direct an episode perhaps? Um, I saw the show. It's great. It's fun. Uh, And what's crazy is where I took the series. And again, all this was written before that show, every heat even been announced or came out is so similar to what they're doing. So I'm like, I don't know, they're going to have two pirate series. So, yeah. so that's, I, I wouldn't do it as a feature. It makes more sense as a series. But um, isn't that funny how that works though? Like you have this idea oh, yeah. and then that's why people go crazy who have to like who write screenplay and they're like, Oh, that's my idea. They stole my idea, but it's just yeah. like, they well, did it. It's well, just that people were thinking the same thing at the same time. Right. Yes. It's, it's funny, like a tragic death, but no, oh, uh, sorry, it's, yeah. it, no, 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 no. Actually, to be honest though, it happens all the time. You're hundred percent right. Um, they didn't steal anything. It was a complete and utter insane coincidence. Yeah. I mean, it literally was because I didn't even know about their show. They didn't know about Mutiny. Now, admittedly, I sent them the link to the film while they were shooting going, hey, if you did, help, but this would be great. But yeah. regardless, um, it's a sheer coincidence. But I will say the thing that makes me feel good, just as you brought up, and you're 100% right, people develop scripts and projects for years and then all of a sudden, like, I'm about to pitch this. Oh, wait, this guy's doing it for Warner Brothers? Ah. And I know friends, screenwriters do that all the time. The good thing about Mutiny was I made it as a short and I got it out. So yeah. even if it never has another life beyond just the short, I'm very happy that I had the chance to, to make it. And, and that's that to me, and, and the actors had a terrific, terrific time. Um, they, uh, uh, I can go through all the actors, but Terrence Rotolo, who plays the captain, is great. Yeah. Um, Angie Teodora Dick, who plays, yeah, she's great. She's great. Yeah. I mean, they're all really great. But not only did it give them something, is like, okay, how do you have a demo reel of something for this? You got it. You basically have show. I like and you. You're you're a very talented director. Like you, I don't uh, know where where you want to go in your career, but this film obviously shows that you can direct the film. Like as I said at the beginning, like tone wise not an easy film to pull off like it really is like there's a lot there's a lot going on in this film like i said like there's there's different you're you're mixing different genres and you're in a period piece and you got six characters who have their own kind of arc within 17 minutes and there's a lot of comedy that need to land i guess right so oh no no listen first of all thank you um yeah it's I like stuff that's challenging. I like ensembles. Um, you know, I, I've been, I've directed a couple of films that are still like in this interminable post that I hope get finished. There are two Westerns that we screened a few years ago, all a bunch of different film festivals, really great movies. I was really happy to be a part of it, co-wrote the scripts, directed them, produced them. Um, maybe they'll get finished. I had no control of the distribution or finish. So I've been really fortunate in this business to work with a lot of terrific people and great opportunities. But yeah, I mean, what I like is there is, regardless of the genre, you always have to have a level of, and in this case, there's a lot of slapstick and mutiny, but mm-hmm. you always have to have a level of humanity, uh, which in some way, Perfect. you always have to have a level of comedy in which yeah. you can really work in, you've got to have a, an attachment to the character. Yeah, you need hearts, you have to have hearts. Like all great comedies have, have emo- there's an emotional attachment you have towards the character. It's not just funny. Absolutely, yeah, but it's not scary. just that, but even if it's a horror film or an action film or a drama, if you think of 
some of the most intense films, you know, I mean, it's a cliche, but like Jaws. Jaws has a lot of humor in it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not a comedy, I would say, but it's got a lot of humor. You have to have those moments to release the tension. As I said, Mutiny, and Mutiny was, I describe it always as an action-adventure comedy. It's not a comedy first, because if it was, I would have probably dug in a little deeper on some of it, maybe, mm -hmm. more, maybe more outlandish, um, although it's pretty silly at times. But I, I really felt like, well, it's really an action venture, but it has a little bit of the support uh, of the comedy. And in the great, uh, all the uh, reviews you had sent, the, the, the clip of all the people, you know, giving their opinion of the film, yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean uh, is brought up a number sure. of times. And it's great. I, I like that film. I really like the first one. And, and the subsequent films are great and they're fun. Um, but there's a tonal thing that you always have to nail with that that works. It, to me, it worked in the, the Ted Elliott and um, Terry Rossio, who wrote the, the first Pirates, um, just really nailed that that tone. And that's and it, it's funny because whenever I make a project or do anything, I make a point not to look at anything that's similar because yeah. I don't want to be influenced by that. Um, so the film, like I said, it is it is multi genres kind of mixed and. Uh, it, I don't want to say it came easy, but it, it's the stuff I love to do. So I guess if you really love to do it, it, it you can make it easy for yourself if that makes any sense. So tell me about okay. So I'm just I'm just curious about your um, your relationship with your DP or your relation like your your the way you set up your shots. Like do you storyboard everything? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You, so everything's everything in the film is storyboarded, and you're yes. just kind of. Yeah, so uh, the DP is AJ Raitano. I've worked with AJ for years. I actually worked with him way back when on visual effects when he was doing camera assistant work. And he's been a DP now for a number of years. He just actually shot a movie called Frank and Penelope that got a theatrical run, which I'm very excited for him. Yeah. Um, AJ, I've worked with on a lot of projects. He's shot a couple of features I've done, commercials, shorts. Um, what I do is when I write the script, my scripts aren't like overly written, but I'm very succinct in how the action beats are. I don't just say they fight. It like actually break out the choreography to a degree. Yeah. So because I have a background in that, I know that, okay, at this point, this has to happen in the fight. This character has to do this. This character has to do this. Otherwise what happens is, and this is what happens with both visual, and I'll get to deep to your DP question in a second. Um, I don't want to eat up too much time. Uh, but it's one of the things in, in, in fight choreography in movies is you always have to maintain, those characters have to maintain their character in the fights. So everything that like the captain does and everything Mr. Phoebe does and everything that Valentine does is within his pers their personality traits. Mm -hmm. It isn't just like, oh, everybody's really good at sword fighting. It's like, no, they have to fight like the characters. They have to do those sorts of things. So by the same token, when I'm writing the script, I'm thinking of all the shots. Okay, this is this is gonna probably be a wide. This is gonna be a close-up. This has to be this, this has to be that. And I'll write it out, say close-up on hands in a treasure chest, that sort of stuff. Then I once I get the script, I'm feeling really good about it. And I'm saying, okay, it's locked. Then I go into the storyboarding phase. And like I said, I have a background in art and concept art and sure. design. So there were like 265 storyboards for this film. It, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of cuts in this film. Like so a, well, that, that's also Scott Hill, our editor, is, is, yeah. is an exceptional uh, visual storyteller. So he he well, he also worked amazingly with our sound and color and all the other yeah. things in between. Um, but there's a tremendous amount of uh, storyboards because really not just because I have a very specific idea and vision of how I want to see the film. We only had two days to shoot it. So it was like, and it was two days I shot in mid January in Los Angeles. So that while the light was absolutely magnificent because low sun in the, uh, in the sky, everything's backlit. Mm -hmm. There are also eight and a half hours of usable daylight. So yeah. sun comes up from the second the sun hits the horizon, you have eight and a half hours to do everything you need. 
And when that sun hit the ocean, which is the last, like the, the literally when it went right, be, uh, okay, cut, we're done, we're done. This is it. We can't, there's no more light to shoot. Um, so then AJ, I walk him through all the boards. Uh, I go through everything we need. We had two uh, cameras on the show. So AJ is not only the DP, he was B camera. And then A camera is a gentleman by the name of Mick Waugh, who is an yeah. amazing, magnificent Steadicam operator. And so he was our A camera So because you can't, I mean, you can put Dolly track on sand, but we had no time. And you know, we need to have a techno creator. We need to have all this stuff. But again, it's a short film I'm paying for. But at the same time, it works for the film. It works for the, the style yeah. of the film. We had to keep it, keep it moving. Yeah. But so, so literally we're just shooting two cameras at all times. We also rehearsed a lot. We had probably, I think we had like three solid rehearsals and that really came in handy like the first rehearsal is a just a straight up table read just to get all the actors on page on yeah. board with the script then we would go out to uh, i live down near the coast so we go out to the beach and we start to kind of block in the fights that was rehearsal one rehearsal two is all right table read no more now we're going to walk through you know holding the scripts just reading from the script some people were off book at that point yeah. but we'll go through the the, the the dialogue and everything start working out the fights more and then the third rehearsal everybody had the dialogue down that the fights were now being refined. And then AJ brought one of his red cameras and just started to block some of the shots based on the boards, based on his eye. And then, um, yeah. And then that was, but I mean, you that was it. You have some, I'm just curious, like there's that gag where like they're tracking the tracking gag long shot. Yeah. yeah. Like, is that visual effects? Is that something you just added in post? Yeah, that was a, uh, so, so the, yeah, the, the thing with all the, is the boat in the there. background, is that something you added in post? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was, um, so, uh, Bob Chapin, uh, Rape and uh, play Valentine was also the visual effects supervisor. Yeah. He did all the composites and paint outs and did sky replacements. And then I just ended up doing the uh, any of the paint out or painted artwork I did. So the the, the wide shot of all the circles and the footprints, that's just a big matte painting. Yeah. Utilizing photographs or photographic elements that I took of, of Leo Carrillo up in Malibu where we shot. Did that as the matte painting. And then I, like a traditional matte, did all the holdouts for the water where the actors sit. Yeah. And then the ship was a digital matte painting that I did for, for, and it's really just a still that Bob animates with little blowing sails and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we put it off in the distance. So just to get people to know, like, this is what you did in the industry for a long time. Like you worked on some pretty, you worked with Spielberg, I'm uh, sorry, Scorsese a lot. Uh, you right, right. go the tourist, uh, sorry, the shutter Island. You worked on Hancock. You did like departed uh, yeah. Superman Returns, like I'm just throwing it out there, like uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, your uh, uh, visual effects uh, supervisor. So you've worked on some pretty big films. Like these are these are like monster films, Iron Man. And so I'm just curious, like I don't want, you don't have to get into too, too much detail, but you stopped, I guess, there, like at least on IMDb, it seems like you stopped like eight years ago. Like is there a reason why you stopped working? Um, no, well, I, I stopped working on that kind of stuff. So of course. the company, I founded a company called New Deal Studios with uh, Ian Hunter and Shannon Gans. And the three of us had the company for like 20 years. And what we're known for, and you can look up on my website, there's a demo reel of our visual effects. We did do digital work. We did like matte paintings and composites. But what we were known for and what we did, and we were in the last companies in the world at the time that did it, was we did huge scale and small scale miniature effects. We built these yeah. giant models and photographed them both motion control and high speed photography. And Ian and I would each take a different project. So I worked uh, predominantly with Martin Scorsese, whereas Ian would work predominantly with um, Christopher Nolan. In fact, Ian won the Academy Award for uh, Interstellar because we did all the spaceship models. Yeah. Um, so, so some pretty some pretty big directors there. Let's. Well, we were very we're very lucky because yeah. we also did some of the 
very few people did. And if you had a filmmaker like Martin Scorsese or Christopher Nolan, who really like had a specific look for the film, like the, the visual effects supervisor, the overall supervisor for Martin Marty's films that I worked with is a guy by the name of Rob Legato. Rob's really talented guy, excellent director of photography, great director, great second unit director, as well as visual effects supervisor. But because he's a cinematographer, he's like, well, let's do as much as we can in camera. So he would push Marty to doing stuff in camera. And so what was great was Rob entrusted me to deliver miniature effects. I did visual effects art direction. I mean, it was, it was some of the greatest experience I've ever had because we were a very unique company. Uh, a lot of times now with a visual effects or digital company, it's like, oh, we've got, you know, 1500 employees and some are in England, some are in Australia, some are in mm -hmm. India or China. And it's, you know, it's spread throughout the world. For us, we had a company in Los Angeles, uh, Literally, the core of the company was three partners that owned it. And then we would ramp up to like up to 200 people for a build and shoot and digital. But it was just us doing these sequences. I mean, granted, some of there would be a we would deliver stuff to like double negative in England and they would yeah. do much heavier compositing for just shooting some elements or we would do a shot that maybe like like in the Dark Knight, uh, um, Dark Knight film, there's a garbage truck sequence and the Batmobile like upends it and drags it back. Uh, my partner Ian supervised that, and it's like 99.9% .9 in camera. It's because Chris Nolan loves in camera stuff. Yeah. So that, that's the background. But during that process, I was always, you know, directing commercials or directing shorts. And I was up to direct a couple big films that financing fell out, you know, this happens. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I was always kind of like vying to do that. And then in 2015, you know, we had a, a number of projects that were look like they were going to go. And, you know, we had done it for 20 years and we're like, and Ian had just won the Academy Award for Interstellar. We were doing VR. I was slated to direct a couple films. One was supposed to happen in uh, Shanghai. And I'm like, you know what? Do we want to keep doing this as just visual effects? And it was just, it's such a, it was a privately held company. The three of us shouldered all the responsibility financially. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have investors. We didn't have bank loans. And it was like, how much longer can you do this? Because when you have a company, it's great to have those assets and resources. And the, the, the talent we worked with was unmatched. The artists, the sculptors, the painters, digital artists, our producers, everybody was top notch. But you're holding on to all that overhead and all that machine. Mm -hmm. And it's great if you're getting finance to make movies, but if you're not having the finance to make your own films, well, you have to take on every next job yeah. or commercial or gotcha. whatever. It was tough. So, so it wasn't like I, I kind of like stopped I, I admittedly, yes, I backed out of visual effects, except for my own stuff, yeah. because it was like, this isn't what I want to do. And what happens is, as you know, you, you own a business, you've got your streaming services, you're doing all this stuff is that you turn around and it's been five years, 10 years, 20 years. And you're like, you know, I, I really should probably focus more time into the thing I really want to do because no, I get it. I get it hundred percent. You know, so I'm not knocking, New Deal was an absolutely magnificent experience. I really enjoyed working with my partners. I really enjoyed working with our employees. Everybody was, it was never like an employee, they were all collaborators. I always felt like everybody had like an equal say. It was a great experience. But, you know, at the end of the day, the hardest thing about owning a business is, okay, this is great. I'm doing all this creative work. I'm getting this going. Oh, but wait, now the toilets are backed up. And oh, wait, we have to make sure that this, and it was hard. And because we didn't have an investor, it was always like, we got to get the next job. We got to get going. And it was tough. And then to be perfectly honest, what really pushed it was the film business pretty much left Los Angeles. Yeah. So, I mean, so many effects companies went under. We fortunately decided, like said, okay, we're going we're gonna to kind of quietly close. We, we, we didn't make a bunch of money, but we didn't close 
in the red or anything like that. You want to, I guess directing is your usually what you want to do for a living eventually. Well, it has been. So, you know, I when I was in uh when I grew up in Miami, you know, I, I was I used to make things and you know, whether it was model kits or build sets or when I was young. And then when I was in my teens, I got into this sort of little theater troupe that did Renaissance fairs and other things. And and I really gave me a chance to to perform and to be an actor and, and to direct. And I really liked it. And I, I didn't like acting as much. I liked entertaining in a crowd. I really enjoyed seeing people laugh or, and so that's where I got a little, I, I got to try out material and to see what worked and to get a sense of an audience's timing. So, I mean, to go back to your earlier question about mutiny, it's that I always said sort of an internal thing. I'm like, I think this will work. Right? I, you know, comedy is really hard and, yeah. and to get somebody to laugh is hard. I'm not saying drama is easy. It's not, but if you're shooting a scene with it's where it's raining and there's a small child who's homeless and there's cello music and it's it's easy to get people to pull on emotion. I've been knocking those kinds of films. I like those kinds. Of films. Yeah. But but getting somebody to laugh is hard because yeah, it is. you don't you can't cheat you can cheat now editing you can you can craft a performance. Anyway, so when I was in my teens I got a chance to do um, a lot of that kind of thing. And that's and and I've known uh, Bob Chapin since then. I've known him since I was like 18, 19. We've known each other for over 30 years. And he came out to Los Angeles. Uh, actually, his brother originally had come out to be an actor and to do stuff. And so he came out. And then a couple of years, he said, you know, for all the aggravation you have in theater work, uh, you can have the same aggravation in Hollywood, but get paid for it. And I said, oh, that's, well, that's great. Of course, I don't necessarily know how much you get paid for it yet. But yeah. um, so I so it came out. So so I've always had the chance to, to direct and work with actors. In fact, that's really that's the thing I'm probably most passionate about. I really like writing. I like the visual effects. I like visual storytelling. But truth be told, if you don't have strong actors and you don't have, you can have a, you can have a great script, no question. You have to have a good script. Yeah. Um, but you really have to have good actors because otherwise people aren't going to dig in on the story. Yeah. So when I come out here, originally I came out, you know, now mind you, this is like, I'm not going to age myself, but this is 1992. This is pre-internet. This is pre-YouTube. This is pre-TikTok. This is pre-all of that. So essentially, you're out here figuring out what to do. I met some folks, uh, and I went, I want to be in, I want to make movies. And I never went to uh, college or film school or art school. I had a chance. I could have, and then I thought, I want to work. I just want to do stuff. Um, so I came out here uh, on, on Bob's recommendation, and um, with actually my then-girlfriend, now, now wife, um, and so long story short, um, you know, I, I was, I auditioned for a couple things and then I did like a live show, a sword fight show at a Renaissance fair with Bob and, uh, my, my now wife, Shannon, and it was silly. And some agent who was a boutique agency said, Oh, I want to, I'm very serious about like, we'd love to rep you. You should do an audition for my, uh, um, you know, my, my partners. I was in my early twenties at the time. And I was like, yeah, you know. I'll be honest, I, I love acting, but I don't think I'm that great. And I'm not that, but more importantly, I'm not that passionate about that part of it. I love mm -hmm. being behind the camera and working with actors and crafting the performance or writing or or just, you know, making the film because I have so many other interests. To me, I really rather direct. And uh, and so that at that moment, I said, that's what I do. But I didn't really know anybody. So I started working in um, doing props and models and Long story short, that's sort of how, you know, I kind of went through that process. 
I, I look back and I, I, anybody who listens to this podcast, I'll tell you one thing, if I can give any piece of advice to any young filmmaker or somebody who wants to be a filmmaker, figure out the thing you want to do early on and do everything you can to go down that path. Yeah. So if you want to be a director, try to direct, try to get on set as an assistant, even a PA, whatever, mm-hmm. get as close as you can to the thing you want to do. If you want to act, do community theater, do films, do whatever you can do to get in front of somebody to show what you do and, and, and hone your craft. You've got to absolutely, you've got to do the work. Yeah. There's a tendency for some younger generations to be like, this is my passion. This is my dream in two months. Well, now I need to be what I'm doing. I said, well, but you got to work at it. You've got to be good at it. And you got to network, which I'm not. But in this industry, because it's the funny story is that you worked as visual effects on Don't Say a Word. I was a PA on that show. In That's Chicago. funny. And so, but I, I had that same experience where you get it, you get it, you get in the movie industry and then it takes you in different directions and there's money and then you have family and then all of a sudden there's good money you make. And then I, I see, I saw a lot of people on set like 10 years later, it's like, they're not doing what they want to do. Right. Because 100%. the it's, money is good. The, 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 you work in these long hours and all of a sudden 10 years go by. Right. And well, so the, the jump on what you're saying is that happens all the time. It's like, and it's hard to like leave that situation and kind of like pursue what you want to do for uh, say you want to be a director kind of pursue what you just described because of all these other uh, outside factors in life. Right. So, but that I I 100% agree with you. That's like, that's the danger sometimes, right. Where, well, there's, there's two, there's, there's the, the, the rah, rah sort of Tony Robbins motivational poster of just follow your dreams. Then there's the reality. Which is, it's brutal and it's hard and you've got to absolutely love it. And that's the thing I tell, I lecture at film schools and, you know, colleges and stuff. Like, what advice can you give us? I said, well, do you love what you want to do? Because you're probably never going to make the money you really want to make. You're probably not going to get the success you probably really want to get. But you're doing it because you love it. If you're doing it because you're chasing money and success, there's many other ways to make way more money and have much more success, yeah. whether it's business or real estate or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because that's the challenge is that you're working on shows. So what, what, what would happen with the New Deal is, like, I was very fortunate. We worked on terrific films, but you know, there were shows or commercials where you're like, nah, all right, I mean, this is paying the bills. But what you'd have to do is you'd have to dig in and say, you know what, I really love the creative process of whatever it is. And that's yeah. how I basically survived, at least creatively and mentally was, you would be working on a project and I'd say, wow, I really love this part of it. Well, it's a commercial for deodorant. I, mean, I don't really care about that, but I like the fact that we're building this little crazy factory that makes deodorant. And I really love the fact that these gears do this thing. And you just dig into the artistry of it and the creative process of it. Yeah. And that's, so if you're an actor, it's the same thing. Oh, I'm doing industrials for, um, yeah, I don't know, uh, erectile dysfunction medication. That's no fun. But hey, I'm performing, I'm in front of camera, I'm getting a shot, they're paying yeah. me to do what I want to do. And you're learning, second, you're, you're learning like along the way, right? So yeah. And the second you don't love it, this is again the other thing. If you don't love it, don't do it because it shows up in the work and, and you see it. You see, I mean, the the mutiny is a great example. Mutiny, I loved every aspect of it. The costumes I got to make, I got to work with actors I yeah. love, all stuff. Then in the pandemic. I, there was there was one little tiny piece of the show that, or, or when I storyboard every, the other reason I did all the storyboards wasn't just to get all the framing, but I knew what I had to shoot. So you know, shoot you always shoot out of order. So I was like, okay, 
I've got two days to shoot this. I've got to get everything. And we had sunset shots and, and we had no time to go back to do anything else. And so there's an opening shot when the boat lands and people jump out of the boat. And I'm like, okay, what I'm going to do is we'll shoot them walking up. We'll shoot um, inserts of them jumping. But then I don't, I was originally going to rent a boat, but it was too heavy and it was awkward. And it was, I didn't want to spend the money on that. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I'll just build, I'll storyboard it so that they're just tight little pieces of a boat. So I'll just build little pieces of this boat. And that's what we'll do. And I'll just shoot it later. Now, of course, the shooting it later, I had a handful of shots. It was half a day's worth of work. These close-ups of the treasure chest. Because when you're on set with an actor, particularly your principal actors, you don't no. want to burn out time of shooting a principal actor's hand <laughs> opening a treasure chest when the sun is setting and I need to shoot wide shots of them sword fight. Mm -hmm. So needless to say, pandemic happens. And I was just going to build little pieces of the boat. So I thought, well, let me digital, digitally model it. So I went into SketchUp and just digitally modeled what I thought would be, okay, about half the boat. I'll just build these pieces. And then as I digitally modeled, I flipped it over because it was half of a boat. It was flat on the bottom. And I looked at it and I said, well, that would make a pretty good bookcase. So I said to my wife, hey, wouldn't it be great if I built this entire piece and it'd be a bookcase? And she didn't hit me and said, oh, okay. <laughs> not a, she's not a violent person. She said, that sounds like you're great. She's extraordinarily supportive. Shannon's been supportive of everything we've ever done, everything I've ever done, and, and it's terrific. I said, okay, great. So that became my pandemic project for a couple of months. So, I, so that whole boat in the movie is a full-scale rowboat that I built in our living room during the pandemic. So again, yeah. my wife has the patience of a saint. Anybody else would have divorced me. But um, so then it, now it'll, someday, someday it'll be a bookcase. I got to finish it. But uh, completely seaworthy, half boat. So that's an example of like, I just had so much fun working on the film. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, I'll do something. It'll be good enough. Sadly, I, I've never worked on anything that's good enough because I'm probably, uh, I'm most likely, and not mostly, I'm OCD about details. About yeah. And, uh, you know, but the passion is in. I mean, you really, if you want to work in any creative field, you have to be passionate about your work. You also have to protect yourself. That's another, another piece of free advice. Uh, for every artist, there's probably about 100,000 people that will take advantage of you, whether they're producers or investors, sure. whomever. And, and that's, that's hard. You have to stand by, you, you know, it's good first couple of years to do stuff for cheap, for free, whatever, to get your foot in the door. But you got to start like charging and covering yourself. Yeah. So basically half, like the moral of the story is have passion, but understand business. So yeah. like understand the business. Do uh, thank you so much for your insight. Thank you so much for this film. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's an amazing short film. Hopefully everybody gets to watch it and we'll get to see your future films and your TV shows in the future. Well, let's talk again when uh, that happens. I really appreciate all everything that you said. And uh, yeah, this was amazing. I appreciate all your time, your time for this. Absolutely, Matthew. Thank you so much for the time. And uh, and again, good luck on all, everything you're doing. I'm really happy uh, you selected our film. It's been great. Thank you so, thank you so much. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Schlemiel, 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 Schlemiel